0: Well, good morning, church. How we doing? I'm Scott Weatherford. So glad you guys are here. I'm glad it's not raining yet. Uh, It's kind of funny. A couple, three weeks ago, we were begging for rain. Now we're begging for rain to stop. We're a little bit saturated. Did you guys have a great week? We had an amazing week around here. We did our first Building Lives uh, conference, and, and as we were preparing for it, The Lord kept saying this to me, don't despise the small beginnings. Don't despise the small beginnings. And so we had uh, about 16 people show up. You know, I'm thinking, well, Pastor Scott's teaching all the wisdom of the ages. Millions of people will show up. Well, 16 showed up, okay? Uh, Which, uh, you know what? It was four churches badly in need of revitalization. And we had a chance to, to partner with them, uh, one from uh, some far away as way as Gulfway. Anybody know what Gulfway is? Only you and Jesus know where that is. It's, uh, it's, it's out yonder. Uh, church from Deer Park around, uh, around Pasadena. Y'all know where Pasadena, Texas is? I was in Pasadena for a couple of years. Pass a, get down Dina with Gillies. Yeah, I did a 4th of July celebration with, with Mickey Gilley singing, and I, I was singing as well. So I've sung with Mickey Gilley. I think it should go not beyond that, right? Okay. Uh, we had churches from Cadelia. Anybody know where Cadelia is? That's a bump in the road. And yeah, so well, we had churches from Kyle and uh, from San Marcos. And, and it was just a great experience, pouring life into these pastors, uh, teaching over two days. I'm incredibly proud of our staff team. Our staff team stepped up and they spoke and they led and they gave examples and every one of these pastors said this. It is amazing how your staff understands the vision and can articulate correctly the direction and are implementing building lives that honor God. You guys amaze me. I am so honored and proud to be your pastor of this church and we're we're becoming that teaching church we've talked about becoming all these years. Isn't that exciting? This, that's two of you, I'm excited. I hope the rest of you are excited too. Uh, I, have a, I have a very important phone call on Tuesday. A very, very large church in the United States is asking me to host 20 influential churches to teach them how to be uh, teaching churches. So I've gotta figure it out between now and Tuesday what that means, okay? But uh, that's just really exciting. God's gonna use this little church at the heart of the hill country in a big way. I'm reminded of this. When Bartholomew was asked about Jesus, he said, what good could come from Nazareth? Well, what good could come from Wimberley? A whole lot of good for King Jesus. Wouldn't you agree? Now, today, we're gonna continue our I Will series, and I Will Serve, and I said all of that to set this up, that I know in my life about the only thing I'm good for is to run my mouth. If you ask me to hang a towel, a tile, a tile, a towel, 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 started to talk like Wyatt, a towel, rod, in in your bathroom, I cannot do it. If you ask me to, um, well, to fix anything, your plumbing, your electrical, I can't do it. If you ask me to fix your car, I can't do it. But if you ask me to run my mouth, I could do that. (laughs) That That was way hardier than it ought to be. But the truth is, God has equipped all of us with different gifts and abilities. And this commitment that we have in our five life commitments, I will worship God I will or honor God, I will connect, I will grow, I will serve, and I will share. I'm kind of partial to this I will serve thing because I will serve really sets the direction and the tone of your heart and your life. Do you know what you think produces who you are? produces how you behave. I want you to look at this passage right here. This is a great passage out of Ephesians 2. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done. So none of you can boast about it. Now, if you're feeling arrogant because you're a Christian, get over yourself because you didn't do anything. And don't look around and say, well, I'm a better Christian and so-and-so. No, we just all saved hell-bound degenerates. That's all we are. Oh, you got that? Now, you can look at your neighbor right now and say, you were going to hell if Jesus saved you. You can do that right now, but don't, okay, because that'd be just totally creepy. But the truth is that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not something we earn or deserve. But look at this. For we are God's masterpiece. Now, another translation says workmanship. But in Greek, the word is poem. We're God's literary expression of the inward desire of his heart. That's what a poem is. And that's what we are to God. We are his inward expression of the desire of his heart. Each one of you. Each one of you. God has meticulously crafted and personalized and written his story into your life. You are God's masterpiece. That's kind of encouraging, isn't it? I think about that God knows me by name. I'm not just a number in a passage or a book, but I'm a person that God loved and God made and God saved. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, Paul goes on to say. What I once was, I am no longer for I have been redeemed so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. In other words, we are saved to serve God. We are connected to serve God. We grow to serve God. We serve God and we share the love of God and that is an acts of service to God and that is a life that honors God. So we talk about building lives that honor God, connecting, growing, serving, and sharing. This serve sits right in the middle and your service reveals more about you than what you say how you engage. We're saved to serve. Now, look at this. Now, these are the gifts. And this is also in Ephesians, Ephesians 4. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Now, last night when I was reading it, you know how funny, sometimes when you read scripture, things jump out at you. You need some, oh, well, the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Now, these are the gifts. Now, look at the gifts. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Did you ever think of your pastor as a gift? Some of y'all said, we need a, a, a return slip to go with that gift. Maybe we can get our money back. No, I, we're gift. And what, what Paul's saying here is that God loves the church so much, he gives the church leaders. And their job is not to lord over. Their job, as he goes on to say, get this, and their job, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church the body of Christ. That's their job is to equip. Now, when you think of equip, I think of equipment. Okay, here's a shovel, here's a hoe, here's a rake, here's a 56 inch zero turn lawnmower. Here's these gifts to you. But that's not what this means. It doesn't mean to give you stuff that you might use. It doesn't mean that. What this word means is the same word used when Jesus called Peter and John by the Sea of Galilee that they were mending their nets. It's the same Greek word used for mending as it's used here for equipping. Our job is to join God in returning you to usefulness, to mend you, to mend up your broken heart, to mend up your delusional mind, to help you unload your emotional baggage, to return you to usefulness. There's something very powerful in the human spirit when somebody believes in you. When somebody says, you can do it. And not only you can do it, I'm going to go with you as you do it. And I'm going to celebrate your having done it. You can do it. Now, my dad used to say this to me. And I was a little kid growing up. I had terrible eyesight my dad did not let that stand in his way of coaching me. And he would say, son, you could do it. You can do it. And he'd say this. He said, now bow your neck and get it done. Bow my neck. I ain't got enough neck to knot, much less to bow. I've always been the, the man with no neck. But bow my neck. He says, you could do it. And my dad believed in me. But get this. My heavenly father believes in me and he's equipped me, and he's given me the gifts of those who will mend me. I love you guys. I love being your pastor. I love living here in Wimberley. I love preaching and teaching. I love other pastors. I love to watch these guys come in and saw their eyes light up. The greatest compliment I got this week was from my precious assistant, Amber. And she's heard me teach this now. She's heard me teach it in Spanish. She's heard me teach it in English. She's, this is what she said. Scott, this fires me up, so I want to go start a church. And so she's being equipped. And to have equipping is so important. And I know as a pastor, I need someone to come along and equip me. Now, get this. Because God is returning to your you to usefulness, your ministry matters to God. And it matters to you becoming like Christ. Later in this passage, Paul says, you're not going to grow to spiritual maturity unless you're serving. Because it's in the middle of serving, to putting on the servant's towel. I did better on that word. How you can take care of people and meet their needs. That you find empathy and you find the mind of Christ. And then your heart draws near to connect. And you can't help sharing. And it's all founded, this wonderful commitment we have that I will do this. Now I know Christians, and maybe there's some in the room. I'm going to share with you something that happened to me last night about this very thing, that you're just stuck. You're stuck. Your spirituality is stale. it's become formulaic and formalized, and you show up, check off the box. You go to Bible studies, but you're really not getting a lot out of it, but a lot of knowledge. And that's not a bad thing because you need knowledge, don't you? You need to know what God's Word says. But if you're not doing what God's Word says, why are you learning what God says? Just a thought. And you're stuck. One of the great evidences of being stuck is that you're not serving, that you're not giving your life away, you're not looking for opportunities. I'm going to talk a little more about this next week when I'm talking about sharing because these things are so intertwined. There's a place in your brain called the reticular activating system. And in your brain, this reticular activating system causes you to recognize things that you once did not recognize. For example, when you buy a brand new red Alfa Romero convertible, that all of a sudden you see all these red Alfa Romero convertibles. Now, this happened to Tara and I, not about convertibles. But about fiats, we heard a news report that fiat is no longer going to sell fiats in the United States. And Tara, I mean, we we were driving, she heard on the radio, she goes, really, they're not going to make fiats? I've never even seen a fiat. I wouldn't know a fiat if it ran over me. And then right in front of us was what? A fiat. And we've been counting the numbers of fiats we've seen since we've heard that. And there's been hundreds of them because our reticular activating system has caused us to look for fiats. What if God took something in my brain that wasn't so dead gum trivial as a fiat and put in my brain, see a need, mean a need? What if God put in my brain so much to say with my head on a swivel, where's God working so I can join him? And he could use what he's already put in my brain because my mind has been transformed into the image of Christ and that I could actually become like him. So I have a question for you. I don't want you to answer it out loud, but I want you to consider it. What's keeping me from serving God by serving people? What's stopping me? Is it a hurt? Is it a habit? Is it a hang-up? Is it a baggage? Is it laziness? Or is it, well, I don't have time. Because I got my kids involved in nine million different things that they don't need to be involved in. Huh. We're traveling volleyball and traveling baseball and we're traveling whatever and we're traveling, we're traveling because my kid's gonna get a scholarship. Listen to me, folks. The statistics about your kids getting a scholarship are 9% of, of high school athletes get a college scholarship, 9%. And travel baseball or travel volleyball, travel whatever has no bearing on the percentile. Do you know what it takes to get a scholarship? talent. And you're probably not raising Mickey Mantle or Willie Mays, just saying. You know, I was going to play Major League Baseball. Talent stopped me. What's keeping me? Now, I want you to think about it this way, and I've written a formula for you. Attitude plus character will equal your behavior. So let me say it this way. What I think shapes who I am and produces how I behave. So it starts in my attitude, realizing, now I realize this is bold, but I think you'll find it helpful. The problem with most of us starts with our attitude. My thinking has to shift from myself. The truth is, my biggest problem is me. I am my barrier. I am the problem. You've heard me say this, and you'll hear me say it over and over that our commitments define our life, and indeed they do. What you're committed to shows up in you, and how you're committed shows up in you. And, uh, and so this is powerful. And, and so it totally reshapes my thinking when I'm committed to something. Now, several years ago, I made a commitment to God to say yes to Him before He even asked. Now, before you think I'm some kind of spiritual giant, I'll give you some people to interview that know the truth, okay? But I did make that commitment. I said to Jesus, Jesus, you have my yes before before you ask. And that willingness to say yes to Jesus, I didn't realize this, but I'd done some things then. I'd surrendered. I'd surrendered my right to location. That's why I ended up not living on the beaches of Florida, but living in Houston. That's a big shift, y'all. And then into Victoria, Texas for 15 years. Not exactly the beautiful palatial spot of all of Texas. Ended up living in Canada for five, and, for five winters. Five winters. We don't count years anymore. We count winters. And when y'all cry that it's, it's 40 degrees, oh, it's so cold, you've not seen anything. Or maybe I should say, oh, it's so cold. You haven't seen anything. You haven't. When it's minus 40, the high for two weeks, it's cold, y'all. When they say, do not let your skin be exposed to the open air for longer than 15 seconds, for you will suffer frostbite, you pay attention. I'm okay with sweating. I do it all the time. Freezing to death, that's a whole other problem. I've become Pastor Popsicle up there. But also gave up my right to resources and to comfort, and I gave up my right to my agenda. But outside of the decision to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, this has been the most freeing, joy-filled commitment I have ever made. When I say, I came here to you because I said yes to Jesus before you asked me to be your pastor. It's a freeing, life-changing decision. Now today, I wanna take you on a journey In the book of Philippians, the journey of Jesus to learn how to change your attitude so that God can work in your character, that he produces your behavior, that you might be equipped. Return to usefulness for King Jesus. Are y'all ready for this? All right, that's enough of you. So let's go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray that you will speak through me. There'll not be my words or my thoughts, but your truth that leads us to your freedom Thank you for what you're going to do, and I pray this in your son's strong name. Amen. Amen. Now, I want you to take out your bulletin. Take out your bulletin, and uh, you've got some Digging Deeper notes in there, or Take the Weekend With You notes. Digging Deeper is something I used to call it, but take the, deep, uh, take the weekend with you. But in your bulletin, you will see a little box that says freeshapetest.com. I'm going to challenge you this week to go online and take this free shape test, and shape is an acrostic for your spiritual gift, your heart, your ability, your personality, and your experiences. God uses your shape to use you for, for ministry. So we have an online tool that will help you discover how God has shaped you. It's a spiritual gift assessment, a passion or heart assessment, an ability assessment, a personality assessment, and experience assessments. And you could take these things, and then when you email the results... Include us in your email, and we will get the results, and you'll get the results. It'll help you, and it'll help us find a place for you to minister. So it's simple, it's easy, it'll take you a little time. It took Scott Tidwell about 40 minutes, it took Dan two and a half hours, so there's your kind of parameters, okay? Uh, Dan is our wonderful golden retriever on our staff. Golden retrievers have a hard time making a decision, and Dan, you live true to form to your personality type, and we love That you're our pet on staff. That's right. Scott Tidwell's personality is very different. Uh, He has no problem making a decision. We have problems helping him not to implement the decisions he makes too quickly. Right, my brother? That's right. So, So you could take this assessment and it'll really help you. But I don't want to talk about that today. I want to talk about your heart. I want to talk about your attitude. I want to talk about what's going on in your mind. And as I prayed about this and as I wrote this talk, I got excited Because I wanted to take you on this journey of Jesus. And in Philippians chapter two, verses one through 11, you see the pathway down. Bill Hybels, pastor in Chicago, he wrote a book a few years ago called Descending into Greatness. And he talked about the attitude of humility, the attitude of lowering your expectations, lowering your demands, lowering your privileges, lowering your wants, and saying that I'm gonna become like Jesus. Jesus literally left heaven and he descended to earth That we might be saved, and He might use us, and He might equip us, and He might motivate us to live all for Him. So there is a descent here that we need to pay attention to. But here's the first thought I want you to grab, and I think you'll agree with this. There are great benefits to life in Christ. Wouldn't you agree with that? There are great benefits to living for Jesus. Now, Paul starts off this with some statements or questions, and, and, and really what he's saying, because there is. Listen to what he says. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, is there any encouragement in Christ? Is there? Y'all can talk to me. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of encouragement in Christ. We know that he's with us, he's never gonna leave us or forsake us, that he's not gonna change his mind about us, that he, we're held in the palm of his hand and no one can snatch us out of his hand. There's the perseverance of the saints, there's the security of the believer, there's the authority of his word. There's so much encouragement in Christ. There's encouragement of the body of Christ. As we're the family of God, there's so much encouragement. Is there any comfort from God's love? Is there any comfort? Yes, the love of God is great. It's vast. It comforts us. It holds us. In the middle of adversity, I have the rock of the love of God. It changes me. Is is there any participation in the Spirit? Absolutely. If the Spirit doesn't move, I told these pastors, if God doesn't move, it doesn't matter. This morning, in my time with Jesus, my journaling, Dan, I prayed, God, send us a revival. And what was the first song you sang? Revive us again. And I thought, who? Dan's listening to Jesus. A music band that listens to Jesus. What a rare commodity. Now I'm just teasing. Yeah, But it's a revival. Is there participation in the Spirit? Is there any affection or sympathy from God? Of course there is. His mercy, his faithfulness. It's new every morning. Uh, Do y'all, you ever read scripture and you come across a phrase, you go, I wonder really what that means. And there's a phrase, tenderhearted mercy. Tenderhearted mercy. Find it in the Psalms. What does that mean? It means this. Mercy without limit. Mercy without limit. And compassionate that goes beyond understanding. And God says, I'm gonna give you Tenderhearted mercy. How much does your wife give you mercy without limit, guys? Don't answer that question. It's a trap. Does <laughs> your husband give you mercy without limit, girls? Don't answer that. But God does. There's only really two entities in the world that gives mercy without limit that's the Lord God Himself and grandpas mercy without limit. I tell Terry, he says, you just spoiled them girls. I said, I'm being like Jesus. Mercy without limit. Love those girls. Then Paul goes on and says, complete my joy. Now, why did Paul write this to the Philippian church? Let me give you a little background. The Philippian church was in a mess. That's why Paul wrote this letter. But instead of whacking them, like he did to the church in Corinth, or church in Galatia. He was lovingly correcting them. How do I know they were in a mess? Because Paul talks about unity in this over and over and over and over and over and over and over. He talks about joy and talks about hope. In fact, uh, Warren wears calls this book, the Be Joyful book, the Be Joyful. And Paul's writing to them because he's giving them a loving... Because two women in that church had gotten sideways... Adoni and Scythechi. And in chapter four, Paul calls them by name. Wouldn't you you love to be in that prayer meeting when the pastor read that letter? And he said, hey, Adoni and Scythechi. You girls need to get along. There was division in Philippi because of their attitude of entitlement. Entitlement, arrogance. Elitism, racism, the most vile demons in hell. And when you're entitled and you don't get your way, it results in rage. Hmm. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, unity. Having the same love, unity. Being in full accord and of one mind, unity. The love of Jesus unifies us and it shapes our attitude. I'm amazed by this. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being the full of cord and of one mind. A united attitude of I will serve Jesus, I will become like Jesus, will transform you. It will transform the world. So my focus has to shift. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Is this a direct assault on entitlement or what? He's saying this is what's keeping you from living all from Jesus. Now last night, I I I preached a sermon at our Saturday night gathering. In fact, I'll tell you guys, uh, you shift to Saturday night if you have a chance because it opens up space in our other gatherings, but it's also a blessing. We're going to move the time in November to make it a little earlier. Uh, we'll move it to 5.30 in November, beginning the 1st of November. We'll tell you about it. We'll, we'll advertise it, but shift to Saturday night. Last night I was preaching this, and uh, Tara wasn't there. Tara's still unpacking our life and putting it on the wall in our house. <laughs> I told you I didn't do those things. It's not that I can't do them. I just don't do them right. That's a whole other marriage therapy session. Anyway, okay. <laughs> I, was, I was, last night, I was, I was sleeping. I was in the middle of sleep, and the Lord woke me up. And he said this, tell them, oh, this is so weird, tell them to get saved. Tell them to get saved. And that's all he said. And I, I went, tried to go back to sleep, I said, What the heck does that mean? He says, and I just got to think about it this morning as I was praying again. You know what that means? If you're not saved, if Jesus doesn't live in your heart, it doesn't matter what your attitude shift is. Because you have to have a transformed mind and a transformed life. If you don't belong to Jesus, then it doesn't matter. You could do all the good in the world. It doesn't matter. You become Mother Teresa and it doesn't matter. That you need to have a personal relationship with the living, loving God. And that begins with you setting aside your agenda and saying, Jesus, I'm yours. That's the beginning of the transformation. There's nothing that shifts our focus without being saved. And it's not the choice of the human being that changes you. It's not your choice. It's the movement of the Holy Spirit that changes you. Are y'all with me on that? So that breaks the grip of selfishness, of ambition and conceit. And it causes me to be full of humility. Now, humility is a word that we do not understand. And we've given it definitions that are just wrong. And sometimes we replace arrogance with confidence. If somebody's confident, we call them arrogant. And really, they're not arrogant, they're just confident. It's a difference. Or there, maybe they're courageous. But humility is one of those words that we think humility is going, well, it's me. I'm just a poor little sucker that nobody cares about. Wah, wah, wah. Well, it's me. That may be the creepiest thing I've ever done for you guys. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I amaze myself at times. But biblical humility, now get this, Paul had to invent a word for it because there was no word in Greek that described humility. And it's humilitas, and it means this. It's not becoming a doormat, but willing setting aside your rights, preferences, and privileges for the good of others. That is biblical humility. I'm going to set aside what I prefer for you for you. I'm going to set aside my privilege for you. And that's exactly what the mind of Christ does for us. The shifting of focus in my thinking shifts, in my life shifts, and it's all the result of salvation. This is the way of Jesus. This is what Jesus did. Listen to what Paul goes on to say. Have this mind among yourselves I like what another translation says. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God. Now, this translation says the form of God, but let me tell you what, that's really not right in Greek. Now, I know I'm picking on the ESV and, and heaven help me. I'm not a scholar. I didn't translate this, but I do what the Greek says. Even though he was God, Not the representative or the form, but he was God. The great theologian Thomas Aquinas in the Middle Ages wrote great dissertations helping us to understand God, that that God through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, the Lord our God is one, manifested three distinct persons. And Jesus is fully God, not watered down, not set aside, but he took off the privileges of God. He unrobed the deity and put on the robe of humanity. He did not lose his godness by covering himself with humanity. But what he did is he created an advocacy with us. An identification with us. The writer of Hebrews says, He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. That he set aside his privileges. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Aquinas said this, while nursing at the bosom of his teenage mother, he could have spoken the worlds out of being. Hmm. Have this mind in you. You're not even close to being God. But God says, become like me. Not become a God. That's heresy. But become like Christ in character. And that's called sanctification. That I shift And I said, my desire is to live all for this one who's given everything for me. My desire shifts from my wants and my needs to my pleasures to Jesus, I'm yours. My life shifts to saying, it's not about me, but it's about you. And how can I love you? Because he has loved me. And it becomes this transformation of my heart. Look at the steps down that Jesus took. He took off the robes of deity. He took on, took on the body of a man. He, he didn't take on the body of a man to become a king of a nation. He took on the body of man to become the builder of Nazareth, the tecton. And in this clothed place where even his relative says, who does this guy think he is? Who did he think he was? He thought he was God because he was God. But he behaved like a man and lived among us so he could be incarnational. So he could think like we think and, and see what we think and, and feel our lives. And He could feel the pain of hunger. He could feel the, the weariness of being tired. He knew what it's like to need a nap after preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And there was no NFL football to watch with his eyes closed at the same time. He knows what it's like to be betrayed to be denied, to be hurt. He could relate to us because he has been one of us and with us. It is the incarnation of God. A few years back, I was doing a podcast with another pastor. And I talked about preaching for life change in this podcast. And he said, Scott, incarnational preaching changes people. And you know what that means? Don't ever preach from the position of I know it all. Preach from the position I'm with it. I'm with you in it all. And that's exactly what Jesus says. I'm with you in it all. And he became obedient, obedient even to the point of death. Death on a cross. Whew. Persians invented crucifixion. The Romans perfected it. A terrible, heinous death that no one deserves to die. Our God, our Savior, our Advocate died for us. My life then follows Christ, and I die to me to live all for him. Jesus is honored in this. And Jesus is honored because of this. Paul concludes this. Actually, this became a hymn they sang in church. This passage of, became a hymn they sang. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and that's another translation mistake. It's every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, at every tongue Confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the Father. And my service matters to God. And my service honors God. And the greatest honor is not that the name of Scott Weatherford will be above every name and, and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. No, 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 no. My honor is for my king to say to me, Well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. Not that I've been perfect because I will not be. Not that you will be because you won't be. You'll mess up. You're probably a mistake waiting to happen. But we have a God who loves us He said, I want to fill you with my spirit. I want to save your soul. I want to equip your life. I want to turn you loose to live like me in the world so others can know me and life can be better because of me. I've come to rescue you. Wow. So I have an apology to offer to you. I'm gonna offer it on the behalf of all pastors because I think we've done you a disservice. We've told you as a congregation that serving God was showing up at stuff. Listen to us pontificate, attending, giving, throw a little money in the plate. Yeah, that's good to do. Grows you and God wants you. He doesn't need your cash. He wants your heart. He knows if you're, your heart's tied to your purse strings. He knows that. So do you. Don't act like you don't. To pray. That's what we've told you. And mostly to stay out of the way. Let us do ministry. We've done you a disservice. Even though those things are good, some of them are. Not the staying out of the way part. It's time to challenge you. To attend, to give, to pray, and to get into fray. And step up and find your place and serve. To meet needs. Don't wait for permission. Meet needs. Now I will tell you this, I will warn you. If you come to me with a ministry idea, you're gonna get to lead it. Can I get a witness? (laughs) We've got a motorcycle ministry. I think you guys are going to go for a rides, right, Steve, to the painted churches, whatever that means, next Saturday. next Saturday. And why did he start this ministry? Because he came to me and opened his pie hole, and I put him in charge. And now for the glory of God, these guys are going to ride motorcycles and build relationships, and they're going to go on this adventure. We have a widow's ministry now because someone came to me. We have a grief share because someone came to me. We have other ministries that are bubbling in your heart. So if you don't want to run it, don't come to me. <laughs> Dr. Cheetah was sitting on the bench until we pulled him off the bench. Aren't you glad we've asked Dr. Cheatham to jump back in our preaching teaching team? Yeah. He accused me last week of preaching to a backslidden Baptist preacher. That's a tough crowd right there, brother. Yeah. But see a need and meet a need. And some of you said, well, I'm too old to serve Jesus. You ain't dead. Only dead folks can't serve God. Mm. You see the sign back here, Hope? Our drummer, Chris Vaughn, he, he, the guy that was playing the drums, he did that. He's serving God using his art. All for Jesus. We volunteered him, but he stepped into it. and It's blessed us, hasn't it? Let me just end with this. Jesus said this. When the Son of Man comes in glory and the angels are with him and that he sits upon the glorious throne, and all the nations will gather at his presence and he will separate the people as sheeps, as shepherds separates the sheep from the goats and he'll place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you were blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. And I was a stranger and you invited me in into your home. And I was naked and you gave me clothing. And I was sick and you cared for me. And I was in prison and you visited me. And these people said, Lord, we don't remember that. We we don't remember you being thirsty or hungry or sick or in prison. We don't remember that. And Jesus will say to them, When you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you were doing it to me. I look at that list. I looked at this list this week. It said nothing, nothing, nothing about attending a church gathering. Even though that's good. Even though you need to be here. But your heart has to be transformed because you've been saved by the living, loving God that you might give your life away. And so it's time to say, I will. I will serve Jesus. If you're with me, take your sticker off, slap it on your chest. Say, I will live to serve him.